Hi, everybody. I'm Grant Fishbook, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham. I want to thank you for accessing this online content. We're so glad that you've decided to watch this message today. And one of our values here at Christ the King is biblical community. And so I just want to encourage you uh, and remind you that while we are glad that you are accessing this content, this is absolutely no replacement for face-to-face biblical community wherever you happen to be. If you happen to be in our area, we would love to welcome you to any one of our five campuses. But if you're watching this somewhere else in the country or somewhere else in the world, I hope that you'll take the opportunity to find a biblical community where you can both give and receive as you continue your journey with Jesus. Well, this week we're gonna have week number two of a series that we're calling Thanks Wanting. I mean, let's be honest, Thanksgiving is supposed to be about giving, but from now till Christmas time, a lot of us are focusing on what we actually want. So why don't you come on inside to the worship center with me and join the rest of the family as we begin week number two of Thanks Wanting. Todd, I appreciate that. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you for coming to church on a long weekend. I mean, you had probably had lots of other options. And uh, I love the sleep-in service people. You are my people. Thank you for waking up at the crack of noon and for being here today. And uh, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving. And, and, and so just so you know, we're kind of do things different uh, this morning. Uh, We kind of went a little bit more acoustic, unplugged. I think there's times when we need to just kind of quiet our hearts and quiet our souls. I know some of you don't know what this is. So this is an easel with paper. You, you actually write on it. Um, uh, there's no outline in your, in your uh, program today. In fact, you're going to have to fill stuff in all on your own. I know that will be a challenge for some of you, um, but welcome to uh, just kind of a stripped down version of, of Christ the King Church this weekend. So Thursday was Thanksgiving and uh, according to my Bible, I'm supposed to be grateful and thankful every day. And so I think we need to be practical in some of those things. So, so let me tell you just a few of the things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for a free country where I can actually say the name of Jesus out loud without apology, without fear of reprisal. I have friends who pastor in, in China and different parts of the world. What we're doing here this morning is illegal where they are. I have a friend who has never been able to say the name of Jesus above a whisper because of the fear of prosecution in the country in which he ministers. And so I'm thankful every day that I can say Jesus at the top of my lungs if I want to. I'm thankful for a church that has been patient and loving and kind and generous to my family for 18 years. Uh, I don't think you guys know what an anomaly that is. That just doesn't happen in the church world anymore, where a pastor sticks around for 18 years or where a church will have a pastor for 18 years. Um, 18 years is an eternity, so that makes me uh, a dinosaur in dog years. uh, It makes me dead. That's just how it goes together. But I'm thankful for all of the time that you guys have walked with. We've seen a lot happen over the last 18 years. I'm thankful for my wife who comes to the 1115 service. Laurel teaches me every single day how to simply choose joy. And it is a conscious decision to actually choose joy every day. So I'm thankful for her example. I'm, I'm thankful for the friends that I have sitting in this room right now. Uh, the, the guy that played the piano this morning. Randy's been on staff at Christ the King for 23 years. 
Like since this church started, he basically has been here faithful. He's been a graphic artist and a marketing guy, and, and he loves to just play piano. And I love, I tell you what, I love to pray when Randy's on keys because he just knows how to just kind of tuck himself up underneath of that and open up our heart because that's what music and worship does. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the Hoffbauer family. Uh, uh, they were here last night. They've been serving all weekend. We basically have a dad and two sons that are working the cameras, so you can see me uncomfortably close on the big screens. And uh, it's awkward for me and probably even more awkward for you, but I'm thankful for whole families who serve here each and every weekend. And when I look out over top of this church family right now, um, I see friends who have been through unbelievable stuff in the past year. And the fact that you're here and praising and worshiping God thrills my heart because I know you overcame unbelievable challenges. I see uh, a young lady in this room who has, who has walked through three miscarriages and is still praising God every single day. Uh, I got a friend here who survived an unbelievably tragic car accident. God saved his life, spared him. And the fact that he's here today, even though it hurts him to put his hand in the air, I'm thankful for that example. It touched me and it got my hands in the air over here in the corner. So thank you for being a part of what it is that we're doing. And I want you to notice something. Do you, do you notice what happens when gratitude comes into a room? It changes the condition of hearts, doesn't it? I mean, Pastor Todd told us last week that greed makes the heart grow cold, but gratitude, it warms the heart. Even if it's somebody else's blessing that we're celebrating, it still points us in, in a different direction, in a, in a Jesus way. This is the second week of just a little mini-series that we're calling Thanks Wanting. Last week, Todd defined the season of Thanks Wanting as this. It's Thanks Wanting is the season from Black Friday to Christmas when we spend dollars we don't have to purchase stuff we don't need, sometimes for people we don't even like. And we try to be proactive here because last week, Todd shared some incredibly practical ideas about how to not allow the greed in our society to steal that season between Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas because we all know what happens in January, right? We're trying to protect you from what happens in January because in January, when, when you're there faced with this, this pile of bills and this life of regret, you actually end up with this thing called buyer's remorse in January that makes you go, why do I even bother to do that whole Thanksgiving to Christmas thing? And so we're going to we're going to look at it. Todd told you the how last week. I'd like to get to the why. Why would Jesus' people do this season different than anybody else? Why, why would we be the ones to reject the despair that happens when we, when we get intoxicated by our wants? Why would we dare to think that, that life could be just a little bit different because we've got a Bible and a king who won't give us any other choice than to actually live different? So you're going to have to stick with me. We're going to kind of fly without a, a net this morning. I'm not exactly sure what will come out of my mouth. So just stick with me as I kind of weave some pieces together. Laurel and I had an opportunity uh, to go on vacation. It's been, a, it's been a, a, a pressing summer. We Both of our children got married this summer. Braden and McKenna both got married. And then we also had uh, a wave of funerals across the church that, that took, it took my legs out from underneath of me. I'll be honest with you. So I want to practice what I preach. So I'm always telling you guys, you need rest and you need to step away. That's why God said work for six, rest for one. And so I wanted to try and practice what we preach. So we decided to take off. And as a part of our vacation, we got to check off one of the boxes on our bucket list. I have always wanted to play with monkeys. 
I know it's weird, but that's, I've always wanted to, Laurel's always wanted to play with monkeys. And on our vacation, we had an opportunity to go to a monkey sanctuary to play with capuchins. If you don't know what a capuchin is, if you've seen the movie Night at the Museum, the little star of the show, that's a capuchin. They're just amazing. They're, they're, they're fantastic. Here's a picture of me with my new best friend. Um, he's hanging out there. We were having a theological discussion about you guys. It was an amazing conversation. <laughs> We're talking back and forth to each other, and on our way to the monkey sanctuary, the guide said there's only, there's two rules, but you've got to follow them. Rule number one, no food. Don't put food in your purse. Don't put food in your pockets. You will set off a monkey civil war if you bring food into the monkey sanctuary. There was actually a lady with our group from upstate New York who just thought she was exempt. She had a tube of Pringles in her purse. The monkeys won. She lost. I mean, she lost big time. They shredded her purse. They, they were up in the tree just eating the monkeys, like throwing stuff. It was amazing to watch. She ignored the rule. No food. You're just not allowed to bring any food. That was rule number one. And rule number two was this. You need to watch your sunglasses because the monkeys will look at you, see that you're wearing sunglasses. They want to wear sunglasses too. So they said, this is how it goes. You can wear your sunglasses if you want to, but if you're not careful, they're going to steal your sunglasses, run up a tree. They're going to try them on. When they don't fit, the monkey's going to get frustrated. He's going to smash your $200 sunglasses to bits at the top of the tree, and you will get your sunglasses back. You're just going to get it back in little tiny pieces at the bottom of the tree. She warned us that that's exactly what was going to happen. And so I'm thinking in my brain, why would a monkey want to wear my sunglasses and before I could even ask the question, she answered it. This is why a monkey will want to wear your sunglasses. You've heard it before. Monkey see, monkey do. Stick with me, okay? We're not done yet. We're not done yet. So I went shopping on Black Friday. At least that's what I call it. Laurel goes shopping. I go to collect sermon illustrations, okay? And Whatcom County never lets me down. Ever, ever, ever. And so I was standing in a very long line in Coles waiting to check out. And Laurel had gone to look at some other things that I'm standing. The line had actually doubled back. So there were like two groups of people standing side by side. And I overheard a conversation between two ladies. One of the ladies, oh, and just so we're clear, okay, I was not doing thanks wanting on Black Friday. Okay? I was not there spending money I don't have on people I don't like. I was actually there searching for 75 to 80% off a practical gift that I want to give to someone that I love. And that's actually good stewardship because it's not my money. It all belongs to God. And someday I'm going to be held accountable for every single dollar. So I, was, I wasn't there doing thanks wanting. I was actually there doing what I believe I was supposed to do. But I end up in the line and there's these two ladies and they're talking. And their conversation goes something like this. My kids are driving me nuts. I mean, the stuff that they want is so expensive, but they just have to have it. Do they think I'm made out of money? The lists keep getting longer and fancier. And if it doesn't have a brand name on it, they will not even touch it. I cannot believe my kids. And then her phone rings. And she answers the phone, rolls her eyes, and says this, Mom, I told you. If you're going to buy me a jacket for Christmas, if it doesn't have the name Michael Kors on it, I don't want it. <laughs> and my first thought is, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and my second thought was, I wonder where her kids got their attitude from. 
Monkey see, monkey do. You've probably heard people say this before. You know, this is the trouble with kids these days. Can I tell you something? Here is the trouble with kids these days. They're a great mirror of us. A great mirror of us, and, and they watch their parents do thanks wanting all year long as they chase peace and contentment up a tree, and when the almighty dollar doesn't deliver something that fits, they get frustrated with their lives, and they smash their little heads against the tree of consumerism, thinking that all of their problems would be solved if they could just have more. And Jesus doesn't help us at all when he has the audacity to show up and say, and a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus has the gall to say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And he still has the kindness to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more things to do and more things to shop for. Is that what your Bible says? <laughs> I will give you rest. My question today is simple. Can we model a different way? As followers of Jesus, could we actually live a different kind of example where we actually lived out thanksgiving as opposed to thanks wanting? And I've been reading devotionally through the book of Acts, and I stumbled upon Acts chapter 20, not expecting to find a thanksgiving message wrapped inside of what is actually a, a fond farewell between Paul and a group of Ephesian elders. Let me just paint the picture for you. Paul's been doing what he always did. Paul would show up in a town, he would preach in the synagogue, a riot would break out, and he would leave a church behind. I think that's a great methodology for planting churches, especially for someone who used to play hockey, right? Let's have a riot, plant a church. I think it just sounds like a great way of actually doing that. Well, at the end of Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to this group of Ephesian elders, these church leaders, and he says to them, I'm going away to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's already told me it's not going to go well for me at all. I'm probably going to be imprisoned. I might even die. But before I go, I, I just want to talk to you about our relationship, and I want to talk to you about the Jesus way. And in that conversation, he actually shows us what it actually means to model a different way of life, to mentor someone in a different way of life that doesn't get them in our context trapped in this, in, in this trap of thanks wanting, but instead actually walks them down the road of thanksgiving. Think about great modeling pictures or mentoring pictures. I mean, Rocky had Mick, Simba had Mufasa. The little dudes with big feet had Gandalf, right? Daniel had Mr. Miyagi. Luke had Yoda. I mean, everyone needs something who's a little bit out in front of them who can actually teach them that there's a different way than just following along the road that culture says is cool and reading the cultural teleprompter that says this is how life has to go. All you need is more and you'll be happy, which we all know is a lie. So if you want to model a Thanksgiving style of life, I want to give you just four basic words. And I know this is freaking some of you out because like, no, Grant, we do blanks here at Christ the King and you fill them out one at a time, they show up on a television and, and, and sometimes they're animated and they move and, and you're not allowed to mess with the mojo, but it's an easel. Take a deep breath. All the answers are here. You can write them down and then just follow along. We're going old school today on purpose, Okay. If you want to model a Thanksgiving style of life, this is how it starts. It starts with authenticity. We actually need to be real. 
We, as the followers of Jesus, need to share the beauty of what it means to be blessed by God. We also need to show the joy of biblical stewardship. We need to model a life of of the benefit of financial discipline. And we need to be able to point out how our culture is lying when it says that more equals happiness. Because so many of us have fallen into the trap. We actually think that more equals happiness. And some of you will go, okay, I don't actually believe that. But here's what I really believe. I believe that if I got a six-figure salary, at least I know I can rent it for a couple of days. That doesn't work either. Happiness is not for sale. We need to be authentic and real about that truth. We need to be authentic and real about the fact that true contentment comes from God and only from God. And if we don't, We're going to leave a generation behind us that's going to get wrapped up in thanks wanting because monkey see, monkey do. Listen to Paul get real. Acts chapter 20, he actually starts with these words. He he says, I've been with you for a lot of years and you've seen everything. I live transparently in front of you. Then in verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I mean, sometimes doing what Jesus says, it's, it's tough. That's why some people create loopholes. And they say, oh, I'm willing to do 90% of what Jesus asked me to do. Just don't ask me to involve that piece of leather that's filled with paper and plastic that's either in my purse or in my back pocket. Grant, you need to mind your own business and stay away from that topic. And that's really hard because Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Because Jesus knew something, nothing will compete for his attention in your life more than your wallet will. So we've got to be authentic and realize sometimes budgets are tough. Sometimes saying no to a want and focusing on a need, that's unbelievably tough. Sometimes taking on the lies of our consumer-driven society, that's a huge challenge. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we really think Jesus was serious when he said, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We need authentic. We've got to be real. Secondly, we're going to need proximity. We're going to need to get up close. I mean, we need to get close enough to people so they can actually see whether or not we practice what we preach. Because some of us talk a big game when it comes to following Jesus. It's always amazing to me when people say, you know, Grant, I want to talk to you about developing my spiritual maturity. I'm like, awesome. Let's talk about your biblical stewardship. Like, what do we got to talk about that for? Because it's usually the last area, the last stronghold in our life to come under God's obedience. That's why. One of my favorite moments of Christ the King happened a couple years ago. I was actually preaching on stewardship, not because the church needs money. Just so you know, I'm not talking about this this morning because the church needs money. I'm actually trying to protect you from the regret that's going to come from January if we don't figure out a different way to do this. I think the best way is the Jesus way. So I'm preaching on the biblical principle of tithing. If you don't know what that is, it's pretty simple. For every $10 that Jesus gives you, actually he loans it to you because it's all his in the beginning And you can use all the excuses, Grant, it's not Jesus' money. I work hard for my money. I'm like, yeah, really? And whose lungs are you using to breathe in order to do that work? And whose brain do you think is generating those engineering ideas inside of your head? I, I would actually think that somebody bigger than you is involved. And so it's not yours. Never been yours, never going to be yours. It's on loan to you. And you need to steward it because someday you're going to be held accountable for it. But 
I'm teaching that, the biblical principle, right? For every 10 that Jesus loans you, you give one back to him in an act of trust. And if you want to ask right now, you want to get close enough to my life, do you and Laurel do that? Yes, we do. I figured out a long time ago, you can't outgive a giving God. The Bible actually says, Jesus invites you, he says, test me. Give it your best shot and see whether or not you can or not. It's the craziest thing. It doesn't make any economic sense, but it works. But I asked a rhetorical question in the service. I said, kids, you should actually ask your parents whether or not they're being obedient to Jesus in this area. And there was a kid in the service in the front row. He was sitting right there, about six years old-ish. And, and, and out loud, just one of those moments when the kid just talks instead of thinking it's inside of his brain. It actually came out of his mouth and he, loud enough for the entire front section to be able to hear. And all of a sudden, he answered my rhetorical question out loud. Mom, do you do that? I've never seen you do that. You should really do that, Mom. Jesus would want you to do that, Mom. And that's why you should put your kids in kids' ministry, right? It's awesome. I got a question to the parents and the grandparents in the room. Do you model for your children what Jesus asked you to do? Because if you do in a positive way, monkey will see. Monkey will do. It's a good model. I need to allow people to get up close and personal so they can see whether or not I practice what I preach. Listen to Paul, Acts 20, 31. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you day and night with tears. He's saying, I taught you, I showed you, this was personal, and I'm not embarrassed. He put it another way, Philippians chapter 4, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He's saying, don't, don't just get caught up in do what I say, you know, not what I do. Instead, he was saying, no, do what I say and what I do. I'm being consistent. So parents and grandparents, let me ask you again. If your kid asked you, are you being obedient to Jesus when it comes to actually exercising biblical stewardship, would you be able to answer yes with integrity? Or would you hum and you haw and make excuses if we're going to model Thanksgiving, we need authenticity, we need proximity, and thirdly, we're going to need some integrity because we need to be righteous in all of this. I've already said it, we need to practice what we preach, and I'm going to tell you this, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, anyone that's ahead of another generation that's inside of the room right now, if we want our kids to be greedy, then we need to be greedy. If we don't want our kids to be greedy, we need to slay the dragon of greed in ourselves first before we ever expect to slay it in them. I got three amens. Thanks, bro. You know what happens if we don't do this? Here's what happens. Our kids think we're generous, but only between Thanksgiving and December, and they're only really, mom and dad are only truly generous if they give us what we want. Because if we only model it from the end of November to the beginning of December, what else would we expect them to think? Instead, God keeps calling us to be generous all year long, every single day. Every day should be thanksgiving because 
That's the way God intended it. Listen to Paul, Acts 20, verse 33. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So we need to model contentment to our kids by not always looking at the neighbor's truck and the neighbor's house. We need to actually have them understand God made a promise to you. He will take care of every need that you have. He doesn't say anything about wants, but he'll cover the needs. We need to model a value of hard work and solid ethics. We need to show people that if we dare to call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we work as unto the Lord, not just to gain a paycheck. We need to supply the needs of our families and not promote this idea that if you want it, you can have it, and that's what makes your life okay. Because I'll tell you something, it doesn't. One more piece. We also need longevity If we're going to become a godly model for anyone coming behind us, we need to keep at it for a long time. I've noticed something. I just kind of turned the corner this past year around 50. I don't feel 50. I feel 29, plus shipping and handling. That's how I feel right now. (laughs) But I'm learning that these things take a lifetime. It It takes a lifetime to model love and hope and generosity. It takes a lifetime to learn that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It takes a lifetime to learn that godliness with contentment is great gain. It takes a lifetime to learn how to be like Paul when he, when he wrote from prison under persecution. I've learned in every single situation to be content takes a lifetime to learn. You can store up for yourself treasure in heaven, and that has nothing to do with your bank balance or your 401k. Listen to Paul, Acts 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth absolutely nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Parents, grandparents, anyone that has a generation following them, what is the task that Jesus gave you? And if the generation behind us were to look at our lives, they looked at our calendars and they looked at our checkbooks, what would they say the task was that Jesus gave us to? I mean, could they come to any other conclusion that apparently Jesus said you need to work hard every single day, amass a whole bunch of stuff and die tired? Because let's be honest, that's the message most of us are preaching. And then we wonder why it's monkey see, monkey do. Could it be that if we chose a Jesus way, that we could actually show them the treasure in heaven is comprised of two things. They're the only two things that are eternal, God's word and people. And that we are to allow out of the overflow of our heart the example of Jesus, who I think we could argue was the most generous man slash son of God slash God the Son, the most generous of all people who poured out his life through his own blood that he purchased us as his, as his heritage and as his legacy and that he left the receipts of a cross as a testimony to each of us of just how extravagant God is when it comes to giving. All through Scripture, 
Jethro mentored Moses, Eli mentored Samuel, Samuel mentored David, Elijah mentored Elisha, Daniel mentored Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, who was actually a really stubborn king, but he got it for a little bit and humbled himself before God. Jesus mentored 12 apostles, Paul mentored Timothy and Titus, and all of these churches, including this one in Ephesus, and he mentored another group of people called the Corinthians, and I love this verse. It just puts it all in a nutshell. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Don't follow me, I promise you, I'm going to disappoint you. But there's hope for Jesus and his followers if we're at least willing to tuck ourselves in behind somebody who has their eyes fully fixed on Jesus. I heard you sing it. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. You know, I wonder what Jesus would say about our culture. I wonder if he would remind us that, that he was a king with limitless riches who actually stepped out of that heavenly office and embraced human poverty for the sake of love and for the sake of communicating to all of us. You don't need to get stuck in thanks wanting. You can actually embrace thanksgiving because of all that God has done for you. I love Acts chapter 20. Because it doesn't let anybody off the hook. Parents, I know you feel like you got beat up. Tough. <laughs> Grandma and grandpa, I know you feel like you may have got beat up a little bit. I'll tell you what, pastors don't get off any easier in Acts chapter 20. These words are there too. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. On Good Friday, Jesus made a purchase he made a purchase of the life and soul of every person who was humble enough to come in front of the cross and say, God, I confess I've been stuck my whole life in thanks wanting. I got it all wrong, but now I confess and I repent before you. And Jesus gave us a receipt on the cross. It's in the middle of the room. That's why every one of us at some level had to pass underneath of it sometime today to remind us continuously and perpetually that Christmas and Easter and Good Friday and Thanksgiving are all wrapped around one person. All around Jesus, it has nothing to do with the pursuit of materialism. Listen to verse 35, because this chapter ends in the strangest of ways. So he gives us a pep talk about mentoring to warn us that if we do it wrong, monkey see, monkey do. But if we do it right, monkey see, monkey do. So now i got a choice. And then at the end of the chapter, this is what he says. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. I look around this room today because we're a family. And I see some people, you've had some tough, weak moments this past year. And the fact that you're still here, it warms my heart. Because we know it's true, right? When we're weak, He is strong. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we just need to know and be reminded that, that we may not be having a weak moment right now, but somebody else must be. And sometimes that person in that weak human moment, they actually need God with skin on to show up. And they need someone to hug Him or, or carry a burden or, or just to, to be there. We have to remember 
that one of the tasks that Jesus gave us is to help the weak. The Bible says that, he says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> and I don't even need to translate it from the ancient language. It means it's more blessed to give than to receive. So it's not normal for me in the fall to be gone three out of four weekends, but I have been. Two weeks I was away resting and then I came back, didn't ask me anything weekend, got a small ulcer and freaked me out, so I took another weekend off. Um, and uh, actually I went to Sacramento, California, I had an opportunity to preach in another church, so it was good to learn from other churches and bring back their wisdom and experience, people that are in front of us, that are teaching us, sometimes from their own mistakes, how to do it different. And I haven't had an opportunity to talk to you about the CTK blessing, those little green envelopes. Let me say this before I, I talk to you about this. I'm not saying this because Christ the King needs money. It doesn't have anything to do with it. But I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say this to you about that little green envelope. And I can honestly say this. I hope you never ever need the Christ the King blessing. I hope you never need it. I hope your child never has cancer and that that takes you out at the knees financially. I hope I never have to show up in the hospital room in Harborview and pray with you over the lives of one of your own kids. I hope you never need it. I hope I never have to, to show up at St. Joseph's and say I'm really sorry about what you just heard about your spouse. But we believe that God still heals and we believe that God still helps. But by the way, you're going to need a little practical help. I hope I never have to give you a little white envelope that in the corner has the initials CTK. Just to remind you, that's not just the name of the church. It's Christ the King. And He meets all of our needs. I hope you ever need it, but if you ever do... I hope and pray that when you do, there's still a group of people here who are stupid generous and that are willing to sacrifice above and beyond for the sake of, of being able to help somebody maybe they'll never ever meet, that they'll maybe never get to experience a thank you from. But I'll tell you what, as someone who's had to walk into those rooms and hand a small white envelope and had people push it back across the table saying, no, 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 thank you so much. But I'm just like, no, 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 no. You need to receive this because you're family. We're trying to look after each other. We don't get to do it for everybody, but we want to do it for you. And we can't meet every single need. Boy, I wish we could. But I'll tell you what, if you ever got to walk into one of those rooms and hand that over, if, if you were attached to it, if you got to see the tears and the thank yous, I think we'd all want to do it the Jesus way a whole lot more. So I hope you never need it, but if you ever do, I hope there's still people here who are so unbelievably generous in their spirit that they don't see a little green envelope, they actually see an opportunity to be somebody else's miracle. That's what it is, you guys. It's a chance to be somebody else's miracle. 
And what I love about the blessing more than anything is we do all the homework. I promise you, every need we meet is a legitimate need. You don't have to wonder about whether or not you're getting scammed. We do all the checking for you. Because we believe everything you give is a sacred trust from God. And someday I'm going to answer for it, and I want to be able to look Jesus in the eye and say every dime of your money that you loaned to us was handled in a godly and appropriate way. We help people whose families are in crisis. If you were here last week, you saw the story of my friend Brian. Well, I miss that guy. He came for years as part of our safety team, sat in the commons and watched you when you didn't even know you needed watching. And he watched your kids and he made sure that they were safe down the hallway. And he watched the commons in case anybody came that had a different purpose other than worshiping Jesus. And he was just there all the time. And when, when he hit the wall with cancer and we lost him and his family was struggling to put the pieces back together again, it was the most beautiful moment to be able to say, you know what? The funeral, it's not going to cost anything. We got you covered. Brian gave so much to us. It's the least that we could do. Guys, I didn't pray for Brian's memorial. You did. Thank you. All of, our, all of our community partners that the, some of the blessing goes to, they all have one thing in common. They have the value of compassion. Because I think our world needs a little more compassion. Anybody else agree with me? Just needs some more compassion. I'm not sure we need more stuff. I know we need more compassion. And the farm, you fed thousands of families who wouldn't have had anything. And that doesn't happen unless somebody buys the seeds, unless somebody picks the weeds. Thank you. Let's do it again. Let's be somebody else's miracle because whether it's Brian's family or a young woman at Engetti House who, who's trying to put the pieces of her life back together or providing a family with food, the last time I checked, the Bible still says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to give you an opportunity. In fact, it's none of my business what you do with the green envelope. But I do know what Jesus said. It's thanksgiving, not thanks wanting. May we be the generation that protects the generation behind us from getting so caught up in all of the wrong stuff. When they look at us, may they see a reflection of the God who said those words. So much better to give than to receive. Then the Bible says Paul prayed and they were done. So let's do that. Father God, thanks for this morning and for my brothers and sisters on this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you for their hope and their passion. I thank you for their generous spirit that astounds me at times. God, in all of this, through all, our eyes are on you. May we be faithful, may we be obedient, and may we be grateful in this beautiful season of thanksgiving where we celebrate the gift and the giving of your Son.
God, I thank you for this spiritual family. May they know the gratitude in my heart for the love they've shared with me over these years. I am truly grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for watching. We're so glad you accessed this content online. I want to encourage you again to make sure you get connected in biblical community wherever you are. If you'd like to get more information about Christ the King Church, if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you'd like to give online, we'd encourage you to go to ctk.church. We hope to see you again really soon.